0: Because Christianity is now seen as a part of the sphere of life proper to women rather than to men, it sometimes attracts men whose own masculinity is somewhat doubtful. By this, I do not mean homosexuals, although a certain type of homosexual is included. Rather, religion is seen as a safe field, a refuge from the challenges of life, and therefore attracts men who are fearful of making the break with the secure world of childhood dominated by women. Leon J. Podlis, the Church Impotent.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Adam Koontz to talk about, well, how do we want to put it? The feminization of the church or the lack of masculinity? within the church we'll decide how we frame it later on adam how are you doing well how are you doing fine how is the weather in fort wayne
0: <laughs> this is boring when we do this because i know no
1: one is not with us uh, he <laughs> is uh, preparing to slumber and feed for the winter <laughs> <laughs> the weather is pretty nice here it's like 70 degrees kind of amazing yeah it's the same here because we literally might live in the same place, except uh I have to have a license to own a firearm, and you don't <laughs> yeah, that's
0: correct that is that is definitely correct. I live in America and you don't, but they both start with i and they're
1: flat, so well, it is interesting, you know uh, several uh Illinois counties had a secession on their ballots and overwhelmingly went for it, yeah, I saw that it could happen it probably won't, but it could America like the church is being slowly sapped of her energy we don't have enough fight in us anymore there you and go so i'm not advocating civil war that's not what i mean but we could at least get angry enough to complain about it on the internet or <laughs> cast a ballot or get some signatures or something that's all i'm something. saying something something little something you know we're americans remember america <laughs> <laughs> i do and my
0: ancestors participated in two tax revolts but they were both crushed, so I'm not <laughs> Ancestors sure.
1: Ancestors also instituted ca- taxes as well. So what what can you do? Yeah, you what know? can you do? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, that's where we are. That's the. Way, I don't know how we got from weather to revolution, but that is the way it goes. Well, my, my with friend. the with the two of us, we get there quickly. So absolutely, um, we are recording this uh, as of now. Um, o- you know, I think only as of recording, only one major news network or semi major news organization is called the. The election. So by the time this airs, who knows what state our republic will be in. Right. Allegedly, we're in doubt as to whether Alaska voted (laughs) Republicans. Right. Still too early to call. Right. Could go either way at this point. We need them three votes. And
0: I think that that that's that that fake sense of uncertainty is part of yeah. what we're talking about today because Absolutely. people I think in feminized societies, and we're going to make a distinction between women and feminization, but in feminized societies, people tend to accept verbal realities over obvious hard realities, sort yeah. of sort of I think the same way that that men tend to talk a lot before physical violence is threatened or offered, and then you find out who really means business.
1: Right. Uh, what you're saying is we need to go back to dueling. You know, uh, it,
0: you know, it was in America that elected Andrew Jackson, so I have no problem with
1: that. That's correct. It's for that reason I always wear a coat, two to three sizes too large. <laughs> well, I thought that had to do with being a gray man. <laughs> right. Well, that makes you stand out too much. <laughs> Nothing says gray like five eleven tactical pants and boogaloo shirts, <laughs> right. but yeah, but you make a good distinction. We're talking about feminization. This is not we are not saying that femininity is bad in its proper sphere. We want women to be feminine uh it's more of a call to men to uh be active to be bold, and it's a call for men within the church right uh, men of a certain type, right because I think when you're talking about feminization you
0: know that it's obviously fine for women and women women and for women to be feminine that that's actually desirable and i think one of the ironies is that as men become feminized women don't become more feminine that is more perfectly who they were created to be they become more masculine yeah. so as the church is feminized and as the family is feminized women are actually masculinized
1: yeah exactly yeah 100% and you know it's it's a nefarious thing uh, to kind of lose those distinctions there uh, as if we're all the same and as if if everybody acts the same and gets towards this kind of amalgamation that everything will be better and what we've seen is that it, is that it hasn't so when when we say feminization what do we mean by that well you know i think we can we can go about this in a in a couple different ways there's the obvious authority angle yeah which which is probably the most prominent, you know, are men in places of authority where they should be, or have they abdicated their God given authority toward those who don't have it, and and what does it, you know, what does that look like, you know, is it is it the stereotypical like domineering mother in law kind of thing, sure, you know, or is it as as you would say. Or as you said earlier, I mean, is it more manifest in types of judgment, or even in in the ways in which the church looks, or even as it affects liturgy, uh, music, and uh, lectionary kind of things? I mean, it's we got a whole hour, so we've got to unpack a lot of these. So where where would you like to start?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that. Probably the most obvious way is in the absence of men, which is something that yes. Podlas mentions and is, is probably the most frequently commented upon, that, that men are simply absent, that in societies that are, you know, have not suffered some sort of Soviet Union during World War II, drastic reduction in the male population, you still have churches that are more than half and sometimes drastically more than half female or even in churches that are demographically sort of even that in positions of authority, you have women in authority over men. And I think what's interesting is that that debate both within our church body, but certainly in others has often been in the 20th century and the 21st century about, well, what kind of authority are women allowed to have? What does that, what does Paul mean? Right. They should not have authority rather than asking the question, Why did Paul say that to begin with? Maybe there's a structure that should be there, and we don't actually have that structure.
1: And how did we lose that structure? And you can go way, way back in history to try um, to—but I I mean, I think that that structure—you know, what comes first? Is it the externals that influence it? Is it women beginning to look look, look like men, or men beginning to look like women, or is it the internal— kind of the, the apathy that that has risen up in many men and many churchmen and yeah. church bodies yeah you i know?
0: i i think it's com- i think it's really complex because it seems to happen in different ways for different groups so i would be interested especially if you're listening to this and you're in the Wisconsin Synod where officially none of your congregations has women's suffrage in the voters assembly if you could give us a sense you know email or 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 tweet at us or whatever of how does that actually function? Because something that I think about is that even when you have men in positions of authority, so that you know the, the Missouri Synod has only only male ordination, but it's easy to think of examples I think everybody listening to this probably could, where, you know, the pastor obviously is a man, but he is controlled by women in the congregation. That is, he's sort of at their beck and call, and he's not really in authority over his own congregation.
1: Yeah, and we do see that a lot, and part of that is due to our polity, our polity, which is, for all intents and purposes, congregationalist. We we like to say it's modified congregationalist, but the only binding government we have is congregationalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's true. And I- but but here's the thing: if 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 you've if you've developed a system. Which is not what necessarily what Walter had intended to be clear, and we've talked about this yeah. in former episodes, but if you develop a system that has evolved into well, whatever the voting assembly says, the voting assembly is ultimately the final godly established authority, yeah, and that voters' assembly is eighty percent women, then you do have women ruling the church, right? Whether you agree or disagree that they should is a is is a different point. But the fact is that's what's happening.
0: Yeah. And I and I think that that is in some ways a more transparent version of what I suspect occurs in other ways even in churches that don't have women voting or, you know, men are only on the church council or something. I there's a sense in which having external things reflect created order where men have authority for the good of women and children in the family, and the church, and the state, the externals are good and need to be there, but the internals can be absent even when the externals are present. Yeah. And yeah. That, that concerns me not only with the example of pastors that I gave, but I think of like, because I've thought a lot about this in terms of 19th century America, that there are many groups in which, because it was 19th century America and basically everybody had the same views as like, Protestant fundamentalist homeschoolers do today, you know, that's just like societally normal, you know, they, they by and large don't have something like women's ordination, but the dynamics, if you look at biographies of say, you know, uh, congregationalist ministers, you can tell that their, their, their marriage was not necessarily one where the male was exercising authority. I was reading about various new England poets earlier today, and that was very much the case in their marriage. And so the, the internals are already gone among those groups long before the externals go away in the 20th century.
1: Right. Well, I mean, just look at uh, even John Wesley's own marriage. Yeah, right. Well, you can have Cotton Mather, you know, talking about the disparity of men, even in his day. Right. There's just being so few men. Now, and again, we were we want to lay the blame uh, firmly at the feet of men because they have largely abdicated. But I don't think we... have Um, just yet made the case for why this is important. (laughs) I mean, other than, you know, it might be obvious to us, but might not be obvious to others. We need godly order within the church and society for society to function, to raise godly children, as you mentioned earlier. Children need to see both parents in church. And I know we don't like to talk about polls and statistics, especially right now, but if you look at <laughs> as far as people staying in the faith with both parents present, particularly the father, it's looking much better for those people than those where it's only a mother. And and we have to laud mothers who are bringing their children out of church when the father won't, and we should, but you see what a big deal most churches make about Mother's Day, we'll compare that to the big deal they make about Father's Day. And and what's your average Mother's Day sermon? Well, there shouldn't be, but if you mention a a Mother's Day on a Sunday uh, as part of your sermon, it's oh how great Mama was, and Mama this, and every rapper who wins an album thanks Jesus Christ and Mama, and we get that, and that's good. But every Father's Day sermon is about how men need to do better and how awful men are, and that's cool, but they're not there to hear that, and that's fine. We need to lift men up who are bringing uh, their families, and we need to encourage especially young men right who are who are there in church with their wife with their children need to make sure that as men fill church offices they are actually the ones filling. We, we need no puppet uh, church officers is what I'm saying.
0: Right. And I, I think that when you're when you're thinking about godly order, the significance of the order is not that, you know, oh, I'm just uptight and I need my ducks in a row. That's not even yeah. what we mean by it. Right. We mean that if God sets the universe up in such a way, then if we push against that, we are doing damage we don't even understand because we're not as wise as the creator.
1: Yeah. And we are big in in the Missouri Senate about talking about creation, and we forget why we do it. It's not simply to insist that God made the world in six days. And it's not only to insist that God made the male and female so that gay marriage should be illegal. The fact is, God made us male and female, and so everything actually flows from that and is ordered and organized around that. Right. So that now all of these things are true. God made the world in six days. God made us male and female. And there are consequences because of that. And it's necessary. Right, You can't separate the two. And you certainly cannot combine the two into one amalgamation. The two become one flesh and they produce children. And those children are either male or female who then form other families and and do more. But you can't have this Greek notion of putting the two together. Right. And I, I think that there has
0: been... Discomfort in the church about this because there is so much pressure to act as if men and women are interchangeable, which is ultimately the that's the gateway drug to accepting transgenderism. There yeah. is no gender because gender doesn't even matter for anything.
1: And the next step is is denying uh, even humanity. Yeah, that's, next, that's the yeah next totally step. yeah. And
0: I think that we have accepted interchangeability within the church except in a few instances. So women can't be pastors and we can't do gay marriage. And that's good. I'm glad that we held the line in those things, but people see the inconsistency with a woman can be whatever she wants, except a pastor or marriage can be whatever you make it. As long as it's a man and a woman, at least for a certain time, you know? And I think, I think that accepting interchangeability in every other realm of life, besides who gets to be in the chancel wearing vestments, has been, it's a line we can only hold for so long. And I think that we were relying on a relative lack of cultural interest in or pressure on our churches in that regard. I think eventually, if we don't articulate a more robust understanding of how creation is ordered, and what men and women are very distinctively and teach that, we will not only be unable to explain ourselves to the world, we will also be unable to know why we should suffer for God's word in these matters. And we will eventually capitulate in the same sense that many people who, you know, opposed, I don't know, the ordination of women in the 1970s, let's say in the old LCA or ALC, but didn't hold the line on the inerrancy of Scripture, ended up having to accept that Scripture has errors and women should be ordained, and a whole lot else down the line. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a thoroughness, I think, in teaching God's Word that we have maybe been lacking in talking about male and female.
1: Yeah, 100%. We leave it at the concept itself, not thinking about the consequences of it or the reason right. behind the, it. You know, the application, why, yeah. Yeah. I mean, why did God do this? I mean, is there a design in this? Yeah, and and we have to order ourselves around it. So we won't get into too much more this segment. We're going to talk next segment probably about what drove men away, how to bring them back, but what men ought to do. And so it, it, this might be an uncomfortable uh, subject for some, and that's, that's okay. Uh, we also want to talk about what uh, being masculine and being feminine is not. You know, your grandmothers were feminine, but they could still can and farm and plow and things, you know, and, uh, and just because you don't wash and you yell at people and you're mad all the time, that's not masculinity either.
0: <laughs> but what if I have like a really large, well-kept beard while doing so? While screaming? That's right.
1: Yeah. 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 It's the great irony of growing this glorious beard and then spending the same amount of time a quality dog groomer does to buff out a poodle on it each morning. <laughs> You know, there's a disconnect there. Right. Yeah, there is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you end up looking like a gay lumberjack at the end of the day. You know, it's just not yeah. all beards are the same.
0: Right. And I and I think that I think that a lot of men have accepted a sort of commercialized version of masculinity as masculinity. So you grow the beard, you watch the sports, you watch the sports ball, you know, you express some generic interest in guns or hunting, even if you don't know what to do in either case. You know, there's, there's a sort of package deal of masculinity, and those are the things that men talk about, it, which is sad because if men are getting together and they're just talking about sports and they're not talking about how do I train my children in godliness or how do I correct my
1: wife with gentleness or the things that the Bible actually right. assigns well, yeah. to men. And, and there's, nothing wrong, yeah. there's nothing wrong with the subjects you mentioned either. It's just, am I only talking about that because I'm expected to? And it's somehow seen as not masculine to talk about these other edifying things that you're mentioning. That's the thing. Uh, People are kind of taught that guys can only talk about these narrow subjects, and it's wrong any other way. Uh, And then there's the flip side of that for women, for women too. But men can have serious discussions about things other than NASCAR or politics or what else are men allowed to talk about? the list is increasingly small. Men are allowed to talk about how their wives are their
0: bosses and women are allowed to talk about men.
1: That, that's true. And, uh, with impunity. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's, and it's considered cute. I mean, it's, it's a TV right. trope, right? Right. Right. The dumb dad and, you know, Oh, the old ball and chain or, uh, you know, the old, uh, you know, Oh, well, she, you know, mom, mama's mama bear. Yeah. I have to, I have to talk to the boss before I can tell you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Would you like another Pepsi, Ronald? <laughs> well, we call the boss and see. Nah, she says right. no. She says my sugar's high. I can't do it. <laughs> right. Well, all right. Well, hey, on that uh, inflammatory note, we'll be right back with more Word Fitly spoken. But he said, yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. Hang tight. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. Willie Grills and Adam Coons here talking about feminization of the church. Well, a lively uh, first segment, Adam, and now let's move on. Let's talk about what femininity, uh, femininity, we're both having trouble with that word, (laughs) and masculinity mean uh, in, in the positive sense for the Christian. Yeah, and you're going
0: to derive these understandings from Scripture. So you can look partly at what roles men and women fulfill in the narrative of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Women are in the home. Women are caring for children. Men are going to war. Men are obtaining what the family needs to survive. Men are making the public decisions, both within the tribe and within the commonwealth, and then in New Testament terms, also within the church. Those are not Commonwealth and church not being different things in the Old Testament. So you can look at those, and then you can also look at the passages that are more directly prescriptive or imperative, especially in the New Testament. So the lists of what men should do. So men should not raise their hands in anger against one another, but instead raise their hands in prayer. Men should bring up their children in godliness. They should love their wives. Women should submit to their husbands. Women should be at home teaching their children and raising their children. If they're older and their children aren't at home anymore, they can devote themselves to good works and especially train younger women to love and to raise their children and all of that sounds all what i just said sounds i think very limiting to a lot of people and i think that is simply because both a lot of christians and certainly non-christians do not understand what the bible is getting at when the holy spirit revealed these things for the ordering of creation that is there's there's a big there's a big picture here a way of flourishing according to our distinctive sexes according to how God made us as male or female, and that we're made to flourish in these specific ways within those roles, not every man going to war all the time and not every woman necessarily being given 10 children by the Lord, but that these are optimal ways for human life. And they don't concern how long my beard is, Or if I'm a woman, you know, whether or not I know how to shoot a gun, they concern sort of the the basic roles for life that I understand myself to be occupying. And I think that when we're talking about feminization, one of the things that that does to men, whether it's in the workplace or the church or wherever, is that it gives you a much less clear sense of your role, which induces confusion and depression. And I think it's part of the reason why, especially among middle-aged men, a time when you should be sort of coming into your own as a man, established in life, you're raising your family, you're looking for, you, generally your income is rising. It's it's why I think one of the leading causes of suicide, uh, of death among men in middle age uh, in America today is suicide. Mm-hmm. Because there there is a kind of aimlessness in a feminized society or workplace or church You don't know where, as a man, you belong, because women seem to belong everywhere, and you belong nowhere.
1: Yeah, there's kind of a stationary aspect to domesticity. And what I mean by that is, you know, your sphere is very defined. I think men need the frontier a bit, so that men need to compete, men need to fight with something. And we've offered them a Christianity that doesn't have that in it. Right, you know, right. and what does that mean yep. for women? On the other, on the other end, we can talk about because obviously Christianity is meant for men and women. Uh, but women working in the home—we'll use that as you know as our mm-hmm. kind of our yeah. standard example there. That is a difficult task. Yeah, it's a noble right. task and it's a wonderful task, but it's different than you know going out from the home, working and striving for something. Uh, They're working and striving to preserve that home Men uh, from within. Men are working and striving to provide for it from without. And so then men come into the church, yes, to receive God's gifts, but then they're presented with what? Like, is there something that appeals to them there? Now, we kind of saw this go... Who was the guy who was writing these Christian masculinity books in like the early 2000s? Was it like John Eldridge or whatever, like epic? Yes. And those, yeah. yeah, Wild at Heart, right? That, that's it, Wild at Heart. And I kept thinking like, that can't be right like, that because right, like, that be right, that's a David Lynch movie. But no, <laughs> it was... Uh, but was yeah, that's <laughs> right. right. Actually, we should just do it. We're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about the filmography of David Lynch.
0: Okay, I mean, yes, yes, that's going to be three episodes, so yeah.
1: That's right. Um, but no, not the Lord or Nicholas Cage, David Lynch masterpiece, but the, yeah, the pop Christianity book. And I think that, I think this is where you get the, some kind of the goofy ideas on this. I mean, I, I get the point he's trying to make, but I just yeah. knew a lot of guys in college who bought broadswords because of it. <laughs> and broadswords are cool, but... You know, I've <laughs> neglected every sphere of society that the Bible informs, but I got a sword, so it's cool.
0: Right. Exactly. I mean, exactly. And I think that that goes into this sort of like uh, commercialized or commoditized understanding of masculinity, which involves something very important to women but should be less important to men. And it's important to women because women's appearance is genuinely a really important component of their lives. It involves both the mate that they choose and also their sense of what they have achieved. I mean, I think that is why in a very wholesome and, and, and serious way, I think family pictures are for a woman something at least as important as a man's sense of how much he has provided for his family like his let's say his his firewood or his income what he has done for his family the appearance of the family and the fact of the family and the beauty of the family are important for the man i think they're more important for the woman what commercialized masculinity does to the man is it makes him someone who is obsessed with appearances mm-hmm. it feminizes him even while it sells him beard oil or Red yeah. flannel shirts or broadswords.
1: Right. And again, nothing wrong with those three things in and of themselves, but <laughs> it is what has been built up around that. Yeah. Anything that becomes just a virtue signal is is kind of is vanity. And and that's what we're we're starting to find. You think of great men, saints, unknown saints, right, in the past, the the forefathers that you looked up to who were masculine, and the world would not take note of them. They just did what needed to be done being a man came naturally to them because they haven't been given a, an artificial view of the world. Yeah. I, that, that artificiality is something that I think
0: enters in because the primary influence in everyone's life, male or female is media and not, and not people they actually know. That is that for the woman, her sense of, Oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. My natural desire for, children or to have a man who will protect me and love me and care for me and to whom I will joyfully submit. And the man's sense of purpose and clarity, all of those things are run through media. Whereas biblically, you always have a sense of, I guess we would say mentorship in those things that a man trains boys how to be men and a woman trains girls how to be women. And that that is the natural way, that is the godly way, the created way for us to learn these things, and that without those models, those concrete examples in our daily lives, it's hard or maybe impossible to learn
1: yeah, yeah. and so then since we've talked about so many you know of the negatives, then you know what does it look like w- what does positive femininity, what is within the church, and positive yeah. masculinity look like within the church?
0: within the church i think that you're not doing something necessarily different from what is occurring in the family which is why families and their health are so important to the church because mm-hmm. and 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 i luther makes this point when he talks about the when he talks about the fourth commandment in the large catechism that that is really the place that people learn how to be and if they know how to be who they're supposed to be then the church and the state will flourish because of it the fourth commandment in that way unites and sort of links the two tables of the law. Right, I learn how to serve a heavenly father by learning to love, honor, and obey my earthly father, and I I learn how to love the neighbor by learning how to love father and mother and and siblings.
1: Well, there's a pettiness that has creeped into Christian male Christian circles that is not masculine and it's kind of unbecoming. Sort of yeah. a constant judgmentalism. I think that men retreating only into their studies and seeking to find God merely in books, merely in the study of theology, and divorcing that from the vibrant life of the church community is is man losing something of what it means to be masculine. And tolerating one another, loving your neighbor, not putting yourself up. What we're starting to see then is what really strikes at the heart of men in the church, what's seeking to destroy it, is, is vanity on the one hand and then apathy on the other. Yeah. So yeah. apathy is a huge problem, but if you're listening to this podcast, you might not be apathetic. You might actually lean more toward the vein side of it. And it, it it reminds me of a CS Lewis quote and you know how much I love to quote CS Lewis. Yeah, I'm kind of
0: yeah, I, I'm 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 shocked. I'm flabbergasted yeah. right now.
1: Ironically, yeah. I end up being the one who quotes him the most here. <laughs> but he talks about, you know, some years ago I became a Christian and I'm going to paraphrase here but he thought he could do it on his on my own I could by retiring to rooms reading theology and that he wouldn't go to churches because yeah. he said he disliked their hymns and thought they were fifth-rate poetry or whatever. Right. But then he says as I went on I saw great merit to it. I saw people of different outlooks and and education. And then he says gradually his conceit began pulling off and then he's got this I just like this turn of phrase he has he says something like they're singing the hymns with devotion, and he's benefited by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew, and you realize you aren't fit to clean those boots. Yeah, right. And it gets you out of your so- solitary conceit, I believe was what he what he used there. And I think that that's telling, because I think that we, we tend to think of masculinity only as ombria or bravado, right, or machismo, but it, there's actually something masculine in being humble as well. Right. And I think that 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 capacity to learn from people
0: and not only from books and to learn from example and not only from precept comes about because you understand that being a man involves ultimate humility in the image and, and after the image of Christ. That humility, I mean, Christ is humble enough to learn how to work with wood and to work with stone and to design buildings from joseph he's humble enough to learn many things from men and he's humble enough to live with them so if he is willing to do that he who didn't write a book but preached the gospel then why can't you you know yeah, why, very, why, do, well why, why do you have to be known for your words and your quips and your, and your, your head knowledge? Why can't you learn from the man in your congregation who, you know, whose literacy is
1: probably a little shaky and probably just yeah. listens, but, probably but, just, yeah. just listens to the oldie station? You know? You're right, but he <laughs> raised five kids, and they're all in the faith, and his grandkids are being confirmed next yeah, week. You know? Yeah, that
0: is, <laughs> that, is, that is something far better than to have written many books and for your family not to know Christ.
1: Yeah. It's it's amazing the humble piety you see of men who are just striving to do their duty, not wishing to be seen. Right. And they go about their various vocations and they and they do them faithfully. I don't think we give those men enough credit. And unfortunately, those men are perhaps a dying breed and we want to we bring them back. We want to build more of them. Yeah. Um, what about women then?
0: Yeah. I, I think that this has to do with understanding what will bring you joy and that the masculinization that you as a woman have been sold from pretty much every angle, every, every media source is going to sell you that you can be a girl boss and you can be whatever you want. And they never tell you the unhappiness that that brings, the sadness, because you were made in order to find joy in your family, especially. You were actually made for that, uh, even if you're listening to this. Because your' you know your boyfriend is playing our podcast, and you don't like what I'm saying, I'm telling you that because that's what the Bible says. You were made to enjoy God's created order, which involves your flourishing, especially within the sphere of the family. and the the happy, diligent, Loving woman that proverbs thirty one pictures is a woman who is you know not always like inside she's, she's not on permanent you know melbourne australia style lockdown or something inside <laughs> her house, never allowed out of the house, but when she goes out to the marketplace or something to to get things she's doing it for her family and one of the things that we're saying is that the church falls sick when the people fall sick because they fall prey to the sort of viruses of the soul that have been propagated by the society we live in that tells us that we will be happiest doing and being what is most unnatural to us.
1: Absolutely. And, and it's extended to even things that we can't mention on a family podcast. <laughs> right, <laughs> I mean, it really is, it really yeah. has gone from like wearing pants to whatever the heck's going on today
0: Yeah, uh, right. in, in a yeah. fairly
1: short amount of time society even christian society looks back on the order of the older christian church and they roll their eyes at it as if those men were uninformed right or, or merely uh doing things only because of the society in which they lived never mind the fact that it was a thoroughly christian society so, you know it's not it's not that it was 1600 it's that it was christian right <laughs> <laughs> it's well. It's 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 also a lot of people's misconceptions about
0: you know the Bible arise from thinking that everyone was saying back then what Paul was saying. They were in fact not saying what Paul was saying. Well,
1: and if they if they Paul wouldn't have had to say it otherwise. Right, precisely. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's it's just the silliest things. And 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 again, this goes back to the first segment where we argue and argue and argue just about the principle of God making the male and female. For the sake of marriage and now transgenderism, not realizing that that principle, that creation principle, influences everything about male, female, and family life. Yeah, it does. Like, it means it's not an arbitrary distinction. Men are, and it's not merely a biological, I mean, only parts, like a biological parts distinction, that it's so much more than that.
0: Yeah and I I think that we w- the problem is that we acted as But it as is if, that it is that too. I mean it is that and I and I think that we we acted as if the biological facts not merely of sexual reproduction but of men being larger and stronger or of women being made to have children as if those were somehow accidental to who we are or accidental yeah, to the course of our lives. Yeah
1: and therefore in in this reasoning it doesn't matter so that you know, it, it, everybody is equal in dignity before God, but they are in no way equal in ability, aptitude, we'll say better, you know, or function. Right. And that's not to degrade anyone at all. It's just a simple fact. I mean, you look at like these transgender boxers that are like, you know, doing Muay Thai and just creaming women. Right. That's yeah. not fair. There's a reason why they succeed.
0: It would not be fair if you and I were forced to play in the NBA, you know.
1: (laughs) Are we gonna talk about (laughs) genetics now?
0: I well, you know, that's that's gonna be part of it because I Well if the
1: modern world is true, we should all have the same high jump as Michael Jordan does.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, why am I not six foot six? Yeah, maybe this should be like a
1: Fahrenheit four fifty one kind of thing where we all have to wear (laughs) weights to be the same weight and, and everything. There you go. Right. Yeah. I mean and, and again, it's not. we always have to say this. It's a sad state where we always have to say, but we're all, you know, before God, God loves us and, and equal. But nobody takes Galatians and, and, and applies it so broadly that we remove the distinction between men and women. I mean, no normal person does. No person with the right. Holy Spirit says that. Right. Any yeah, Christian well, advocating for that is, 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 is has no part of the kingdom. Is no such. Is no yeah, such thing. Yeah,
0: Right, because when Paul says there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus, he does not mean that male and female or Jew and Greek or slavery and freedom are unreal. He means that they do not, they do not count for salvation.
1: Yeah, and it's, and it's nothing more than that because... Well, Paul, in other places, will continue to talk about slavery, and he will continue to talk about distinctions between male and female. And even culturally, you have those distinctions between Gentiles and Jews, as evident even in the Jerusalem Council, right? So so there are going to be uh, distinctions. But yeah, as you say, for for salvation, it, it makes no difference. Paul's basically saying you don't have to be a Jew to be saved. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's the the main force. And it's interesting that even that distinction of ethnicity, not of something even quite as deep as being male or female, but merely of ethnicity, Paul does not seek to abolish it or to overturn it. He simply says it does not matter for salvation.
1: Right. But as they tell us now, uh, ethnicity and, and race is just a 19th century invention, you see. Yeah, that's what I. That's heard the too. new talking point. That's a fun one. That's a, that's 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 the really spicy episode we'll do one day. That's the we get we get deplatformed by the Christians for that
0: one. We'll we'll be we'll just put that
1: behind a paywall for our friends. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, yeah, uh, a Scott and an and an Englishman talk about uh, talk about race for an hour. We'll see how that one goes over. So ancient ancient
0: ethnic an- animosities somehow are <laughs> Scots
1: Iberians. tune into word fitly spoken to find out right our kelts white um, only
0: the hottest takes here
1: (laughs) all right well we're up on the second break we'll be right back with more word fitly spoken Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. The mission of Word Fitly Spoken is to put the Word of God at the center of all of life. To find out more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org. Welcome back, everyone. This is A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Adam Koontz talking about the feminization of the church and the loss of the masculine. Well, it just keeps getting spicier in here, Adam. And uh, this is what happens when we don't have Zelwyn here to temper us.
0: Zelwin is a cryptid, but he is a moderating influence, strangely, on us, even though we're really both is. human beings. Yeah.
1: Not that he doesn't endorse everything we've said here. Correct. But. Uh, you know, he says, boys, keep it behind the paywall. There's, Come just, down. there's just
0: something steadying about him. So
1: that's right. He is our rock. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we're going to continue on now and we're going to specifically focus on the church now. So we've talked a lot about society. We've touched on the church and now we're going to to really dig into to church life. So let's start with worship then.
0: Yeah, I mean, worship can appeal, I think, by the the sentiments that it cultivates in the atmosphere present, which partly has to do with the attitude of the pastor, partly has to do with the music, partly has to do with the words, whether or not the service is formal. You can see that in highly masculine environments, collective rituals take on a highly formalized, laconic, but very deeply meaningful sense. So I would look at things like military rituals, the the rituals surrounding the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace or the tomb of the unknown soldier at Arlington National Cemetery. In highly masculinized environments, it's not that ritual is absent. Ritual, in fact, usually becomes very highly ritualized, very formal, very hierarchical, which is something that you can see, especially in the traditional Western liturgy.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, men are attracted to that. It is It is orderly. Um, it has a definite leader. It has definite responses and definite responsibilities. As the form of worship goes, you're left with worship that depends on, how do I want to put this? We can say emotion, which is broadly that, but it's also kind of depends upon camp and schmaltz. That's what we've had here. And what I mean by that is everything becomes kind of cutesy. It's kind of like the difference between a biblical angel and a pop culture angel, right? Yeah. The difference between like a creature, a terrifying creature made of eyes and a chubby little cherub. <laughs> yeah, I would say that worship that
0: is feminized is worship that takes on the coziness of the home. And mm. there should be Yeah, there should yeah. be yeah. a so, difference. The, so the
1: altar is decorated like your grandmother's mantle.
0: Right. Right.
1: Now unless your grandmother's like pretty based and awesome and has like glorious icons and (laughs) good art which she could unless your grandmother is an
0: elderly ukrainian woman she probably (laughs) doesn't decorate like the church probably more
1: humble figures and uh, precious moments
0: right right and there's there's really deep
1: pile carpeting (laughs) exactly right a smattering of of you know cards over the years and newspaper clippings and right, which is entirely green those green candy dishes yeah that's with worthers you know it 's entirely <laughs> it 's completely fine and
0: it 's cozy and good and fitting and proper in its own sphere, and I think that if that 's one thing and the reason that we haven 't even gotten to talking about the church until now, this segment is because all of this is intertwined, and gotcha. what happens in a feminized not only church but society is that what is domestic expands outside way beyond its sphere and it and that's as strange as if i conducted my family dinner table or family worship with all the same formality that i require when i conduct the divine service i don't it's cozier it's calmer we can do family worship in our socks it's okay You
1: don't put a cope on before? uh... I
0: don't, you know, I don't have a cope on for reading a chapter of the Bible with the kids, (laughs) you know, but, you know, so the domestic sphere has its own proper way and it's completely fine and it's wonderful. And I, and I like it when I go home, I like it that it's cozy and welcoming, but I don't want that in church. I don't want that in the divine service.
1: Uh, Correct. And again, this goes back to a point that was made earlier about things being made so comfortable and being made to where there is no work to be done so there's almost no participation so no. you can sort of you know chant your little part there or speak your little part and then the rest of the time just sort of be a spectator and while we we agree that in the divine service you receive god's good things there is a response back to god right and, it's, and and the forgiveness received in the divine service and the strengthening of faith received through the word and sacrament is meant to strengthen you for the week ahead and for your life that's lived vigorously outside the church walls. Right. And we both need the strength of God to do it. And it is a—I almost said it's a work— but then then everybody would have shut it off. Well,
0: I, I mean, but it is it is
1: it is. And I think the traditional liturgical
0: distinction between, you know, the parts of the service that are sacramental, when especially the pastor is facing you and, and offering God's word to you and the parts that are sacrificial when the pastor would be facing the altar with the congregation calls both to men and women. Within their own sphere, we're all called to sacrifice. As as a priestly nation, as God's people, we are necessarily offering sacrifices, not blood sacrifices to atone, but Eucharistic sacrifices in our lives. And that applies not only to the mother's sacrifice for her children, which we laud on Mother's Day, but also the father's sacrifice for his family to provide for them and to especially nurture them with God's word. Those are sacrifices, too, and those parts of the service, therefore, should honor the fact that we not only have women present but we have men present who are called to lead in every realm of life for the sake of their families
1: yeah and and so it 's a very active participation i um you know otherwise you end up you know when we when we totally project the reception over and against the actual response, yeah, you know then it's kind of like what's that? I know you're a Pixar expert, but is it WALL-E? Is that the one with the uh-huh. robot? You, yeah, that's like, the one with the robot. I actually yeah, have seen that yeah. one. You're, so you know the humans in it? Yeah. Like blobs on hover chairs. They're just obese. Completely... Re-
0: All they do is receive gifts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and no idea what's going on around them. Just yeah. uh, consuming. Just right. consuming. Right. Just consuming. Don't, let, yeah. don't do the WALL-E mass. Don't let your theology of worship and the theology of the, of the church be WALL-E. <laughs>
0: And I, 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 think that, I think that, unfortunately, this... And I think was, I just old-yellered some people's idea of the church. You, you, well, you, 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 di- you did, and it, and it needed to die, because, because what, what has occurred is that in an effort to be more monergistic than evangelicals, we have succeeded in feminizing our people by describing them always, only, and in every realm of life as passive, which is yeah. neither biblical nor, therefore, because yeah. it's unbiblical, it's not even true. Yeah, They're not absolutely. passive in every realm of life. They right. might be passive when they're passive receiving in, the Lord's Supper, but they're not yeah. passive in life.
1: And you're not passive when you say, Amen. Yeah, right. And you're not passive when you say, I, a poor, miserable sinner. And you're not, right. you know, <laughs> you're, you're supposed to mean that and resolve to not be passive and, and to be actively not doing this again. Right, so, right. Yeah, very, very good stuff. Oddly enough, uh, more pop culture references in one segment than we've had in the entire hundred-plus episode run. So, well, I, yeah. I've, I'm maxed out on pop culture references at this point, <laughs> as you know. So it's gonna. Right. Well, that's okay. We'll do Captain Kid and Doctor Sin or something another uh, another episode. That's a superhero for your kids, people. <laughs> Scare- you the Scarecrow of Romney Marsh is very wholesome. Better than Batman. <laughs> what. Well, I... I I think that in talking about worship,
0: I also want to talk about a figure who is generally and maybe for good reason misunderstood as the original transgender person. And that is that is the pastor. (laughs) There is there is there is an old quip and it's in a book that I read in. High school of all times about the feminization of American Christianity. It was written in the 70s, I think by a woman named Douglas. This is off the top of my head. But I read it not because I was all that interested in American Christianity or Christianity at all at the time, but I was interested in this fact of feminization because I had observed it growing up that everything is yeah, that, feminized. Yeah, that's,
1: that's feminization of American culture.
0: Right. Oh, there you go. Okay. In, yeah. In reading that, I found it to be really on the mark and the roots there were traced to at least as early as the 19th century. But I think that's the first time I ran into the quip that there are three sexes. So this is long before transgenderism as an ideology. There are three sexes, men, women, and clergy. <laughs> and that is something that Podlis also talks about in the church impotent, um, as we read at the beginning of the episode. And I, I think that there is some insight there that you cannot have women's ordination in your church and you could still have clergy who function as women. That is that their lives and their instincts are attuned to domesticity and comfort, which for someone who is a woman is entirely opposite, good, wholesome, and godly. But for someone who is not a woman is the source of many errors and many horrible things. hmm <laughs> And I didn't really realize this entirely until I started thinking about the importance of the T in LGBT. And I began to see the T, that is transgender, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. I began to see the T as the most important letter. Because for me, it captured most clearly what was happening there. And then I began to see transgenderism as an ideology at work everywhere. So when we said feminization of the church, what we really mean is feminization of the men in the church and masculinization of women in the church or in society. Yeah. And so I began to think, okay, well, could we maybe have women's ordination without ever ordaining somebody who is actually a woman? And I thought, yes, perhaps we already do. Because if we have people who are favoring comfort and security and all the things that women, by their created nature, want within their sphere, then maybe we are ordaining people who are biologically men but spiritually women.
1: Yeah, there is. Uh, yeah, just uh, being a biological man is no guarantee of uh, orthodoxy or faithfulness. I mean, look at <laughs> look at Pope Francis. Yeah, right. He is he is spiritually
0: attuned to whatever the times give him, and the times function as his husband. I I'm not sure if I mean the times as in modern times or the times as in the New York Times, but what's the difference? And so he submits to the
1: times. He yep. listens for their thoughts and then submits to them. Right, and becomes obsessed with that. And right. many pastors become obsessed with that, too. You'll probably learn some things from, like, I don't know, Mount Athos here. But <laughs> that's another episode. That. <laughs> That is, that is, in fact, another episode, but I think
0: the insight that you know makes many Orthodox and non-Orthodox Christians upset about Mount Athos is that the monks of Mount Athos, who will not permit even a, a female animal to be present on the <laughs> island, let alone a female human, that insight is that being male or female... Matters in a very
1: deep way. Yeah, and they and and the and the the monks of Mount Athos do not do not come across like say a Jesuit no. today. No, you no. know, or anything like that. I'm just saying, you step foot on Mount Athos, and it's uh, it's Byzantium, and it's pretty cool, and it works. <laughs> and I,
0: I I think that their their insight is one that we would do well to think of, so in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we did not ordain biological females, but the question after that one is okay good that 's good that's that 's better than the alternative why didn 't we what What else could the Bible be saying? about the nature of being male that we should attend to since we have committed to only ordaining men, what does it now mean to be a man? And I think part of the unhappiness maybe of many pastors, which if you are a pastor and you're listening to this, you know intuitively what I'm talking about, but if you're not, I would say is present very often when you get pastors in groups, there is sadness there is unhappiness. There is a lack of fulfillment, and there is often contemplation of leaving a vocation which leads many to righteousness. But the man who will, is promised in Daniel that he'll shine like the stars forever and ever wants to leave this occupation. Why would that be? I think it is partly because both from the pastor's perspective and also just within the sphere of operation he's been given, he cannot. He he feels or he does not know how to be a man. He cannot be decisive. He cannot lead. He does not know maybe how to be decisive or how to lead. And in not knowing those things, he is desperately unhappy.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely uh, uh, well said. And so in our last few minutes here, then what is the remedy? We've already established that we have a, a shadow women's ordination and shadow women government. Yeah. Basically saying that either men have abdicated their position, or we have ordained people who shouldn't be in that position, to put none too fine a point on it. How right. do we fix it? What, could, what should men do now?
0: Yeah, I think I think that the, the first step to rebuilding is to become the kinds of men that we know people need us to be, that we know that our children and our wives need us to be. Because I think without a certain kind of a man no other project that you may have in mind, whether it's something that you would like to see about the liturgy or something that you would like to see in the structure of the church or any other problem we didn't have time to discuss today, you have to be the kind of man that the Bible indicates you should be. And the way to understand that is not only to read the passages about, you know, training your children in fear and godliness, you know, this, uh, the fear of God and godliness. But also look at how men behave in the scriptures. When David is persecuted, how does David behave? Does he respond in kind all the time? Does he seek every opportunity for vengeance? Does he go around swaggering and throwing his weight around? What kind of a man is David? What kind of a man is Moses? How do they learn from their mistakes? And I think most obviously, when we talk about our Lord, what kind of a man is our Lord? How does he carry himself regarding women? How does he carry himself when he encounters enemies? And these are all things that you are not only written for your comfort, okay? Not only for your comfort, but also to exhort you, also to train you, also to change you. And yeah. all of those things can be extremely helpful to you as a man. I mean, I would say that, especially just to give you a specific personal example, I learned from Paul how not to care about human opinions, because naturally I was taught to, especially in a feminized society. Why wouldn't I care about what people think of me? And I learned from Paul to become indifferent to such things. He didn't care. And he went through a lot worse than I ever have. I can be just as indifferent as he was, at least. So these sorts of things are written not only to comfort you and say, oh, I know how it's going, buddy. You know, I know life is tough. Isn't it tough? But even more than that, to help you change as a man and to become a better man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it goes back to read the scriptures and do as they say. Read the story. This is a meme common to word fitly, but read the stories of men harder than you. Yeah, um, right. Men, men who overcame more, men who lost more, men who struggled more. These things aren't just there as historical curiosities. They're there for, for your edification. And so, yeah, very, very good stuff. We got a couple minutes left. Any, any other final points that we want to make?
0: Yeah, I think I, the reason that I talked about the Bible just now is because when we're talking about masculinity and femininity, that is not just what am I biologically, but how do I, how do I optimize that according to how God has made me? How do I learn to be a better man? How do I learn to be a better woman? It's not only that you will find these things in Scripture, but that you find them in Scripture because they are matters not just of the body, but also of the soul. That soul and body are intertwined intimately and on every level. And so my body indicates how my soul should be and vice versa. So what I'm learning in scripture is that masculinity and femininity are matters of the soul. And that is why I encounter such unhappiness and misery in myself or others when I try to push against them and try to be a man who is feminized or a woman who is masculinized and that my soul will be at peace and at rest when I as a man become a better man or as a woman become a better woman and I learn from scripture how to be those things.
1: Right. Well, very good stuff, Adam. It's always always fun. We never know uh what we're going to get into here. Sorry, Zella. If this episode turns out to be 45 minutes long, it's because Zella uh judiciously cut out uh 3 hours of uh of conversation <laughs> that's, here. That's right. And so, yeah, always a fun episode. And, uh, you know, this is a heavier one for us, but I think one that they need to hear. You know, maybe we'll lighten it up next time and talk about the best Godzilla movies or something like that. (laughs) I love that big fella. I love him. (laughs) Love that big fella. So he is great. And if you'd like to hear uh, more about subjects like feminization of the church or kaiju movies, let us know in the comments, because we do want to hear. We're always interested to know what you want to hear about cryptids i promise we will do more cryptids we know that you're asking for it we just have to agree we just have to get zellan to agree to have his photo taken and then and then we'll be ready precisely so, right and so pretty soon not only will we be the best lutheran history and cultural podcast we will be the best godzilla podcast by far and the number one lutheran cryptid podcast in the northern uh, american continent i think i think yeah, it can happen hands down hands down, hands down. alright this has been a Word Fitly Spoken if you like what you heard and want to know more check us out wordfitlyspoken.org facebook.com slash wordfitly or twitter at wordfitly I'm Willie Grills here with Adam Coontz. God love you and God bless
0: For all human beings, life is a struggle, but men know that it is their duty in a special way to be in the thick of that struggle, to confront the hard places in life and strive to know in the fullest sense what the mysteries of life and death are all about. Churches that can preach the gospel without the modifications that make it easy and bourgeois have a great advantage in reaching men. The raw fundamentalist churches and the more traditional revivalist churches reach more men than liberal or latitudinarian churches. Unless the church takes its own message seriously, as indeed a matter of the uttermost importance, it cannot expect men to take it seriously either.